Blog Talk Radio. Welcome everyone to the Roman Show for the episode of June 12, 2017. This week we welcome legendary referee Bruce Owens to the Roman Show. This plus much more. Step down to the get down. All right, whenever you're ready. You're ready. Five seconds to the open. Aquarius, watch that little gimbal. We don't want you coming off in space. Booster, go. Retro, go. Vital, go. Fly. Guidance, Surgeon, go. Blind. The Roman Show with your host, Rodolfo Roman. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm your host, Rodolfo Roman, joined by the dashing one, George Alonzo, on this episode for the week of June 12, 2017, as we welcome legendary referee Bruce Owens, very well-known name down here in South Florida and Independence, uh, pretty much across the down south, George. Yeah, very, very, very big name referee. Uh, as a matter of fact, legendary referee, a guy I have a whole bunch of respect for, unlike you, Mr. Roman, for not calling me like the way you're supposed to and introduce me the way you're supposed to. So don't worry, I'll let you have another shot. Go ahead and introduce me. The dashing one, George Alonzo, and what are you choking on today? I'm having a, a delicious peach gum martini. Peach gum. Now, seriously, what, what difference is it? You know, when you have a gum, it's you know, peach flavored. And I say peach gum, that makes no sense. No, because peach has more like the fruity flavor. Peach gum has more sugar in it. Hence why it has a little different taste than a regular peach. So I, I like the more sweetness to it. So give, give me a sec. Ah, that tastes so good. You want a, you want a sip? No, thank you. Hey, let's talk some of the, uh, the, the information here that we got for this weekend. Pablo Marquez's CCW. They're going to have an event this weekend, Saturday, June 17, at the Coral Springs Charter School, 3205 North University Drive, Coral Springs, Florida, 33065. You can get ticket information by visiting ccwevents.com. Great event, great indie talent, Coastal Championship Wrestling Inferno, honoring two all-time greats of pro wrestling, Chris Nelson and Dave Johnson. Check them out, sleep time at 7 p.m. bell time. 8 p.m. CCWEvents.com for more information. Also, you want to feel good with uh, your body after some bumps and bruises? Visit Massages in Space located in Miami, Florida. Visit MassagesInSpace.com for more information. Combate Americas will return to Miami July 27th, Thursday. They will be in Wynwood, in the Wynwood area in Miami, Florida. For more information, visit CombateAmericas.com. With that, let's kick into gear and talk some pro wrestling with Reality Check. And now, it's time to give you a Reality Check. Well, George, you know, prior to starting off the show, I was just amazed at the comeback that WWE Hall of Famer, Scott Hall, uh, has been. I mean, this guy, he, he was a recovering alcoholic. He did the whole DDP yoga thing, recovered. And now he posted a picture at 58 years old. The guy looks in great shape. He's up there with the Kevin Nashes and um, the Sean Watman for the Xbox. But really impressive how Scott Hall turned his life around. I was I remember watching that, that episode on uh, ESPN where basically... Scott Hall is going downhill. At one point, people thought this guy's going to die. And now he's made a turn, a 360-degree turn for the good. He looks amazing. God bless the guy. 100% agreed with you. Uh, as like uh, A lot of people have given up on him. Uh, a lot of people thought that he was going to go. So, they, you know, besides uh, Diamond Dallas Page, uh, who helped him through DDP Yoga, uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, like because he kept on 
going in circles with his demons and, and his alcohol addiction. A lot of people just said, you know what? He's never going to get better. And he stuck it to everyone and look at him now. I am very, very happy for Mr. Hall. Uh, Mr. Hall is in the best shape in his life. Like I told you off the air, I haven't seen him in that kind of shape since I've seen him in the WWF. And it looks like the guy can go. So could this be? And mind you, Kevin Nash looks great. X-Pac looks great. Is this maybe a possibility of a small... Like, maybe, not saying they're going to retire, this is just me, my opinion. Can this be a NWO farewell tour being set up? Maybe we can see a Balor Club, or they're not going to have the Bullet Club, but a Balor Club with Luke Gallows and Anderson and Finn Balor going up against the NWO. I mean, a, a, a portion of the Bullet Club. How amazing would that be to see that at a WrestleMania? Well, yeah, because they've always, you know, kind of uh, counteracted with each other when it comes to the the gesture that they show. And as a matter of fact, both factions have even asked, "Hey, how do you feel about Bullet Club using your your uh, you know your 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 logo or your hand gesture?" And Bullet Club saying for NWA, hey, "How does it feel for NWA using yours?" So it could be interesting to see. Now, I don't think Balor Club will happen. If it does. I would rather see some, such a thing happen for like a WrestleMania, but I wouldn't count it out yet just because they are under legend contracts. So don't count it out completely. I'm just saying I, I don't think it will, but don't count it out either. Does that make any sense? Somewhat, but I have to tell you, if that were to happen, that would be something amazing. And I know a lot of people, you know, from young and old will be tuning in to watch that clash. An NWO versus a Balor Club, which essentially is really Bullet Club. All right, moving forward. Kurt Angle, we've seen on Monday Night Raw that he's been looking at these Texas, and rumor has it this, this is going to lead into a potential match at an upcoming major pay-per-view event. Now, who would you pair Kurt Angle up against, George? Rumor, one, one name that's been um, put out there, Triple H. That makes sense, you know. He's the man calling the shots behind the scenes, general manager, you know, stepping in, stepping in for Stephanie McMahon. Makes sense. But do you think these guys could still pull up a great match? Yes. The answer is completely yes. They're both ring generals. Uh, as a matter of fact, every single time those two gentlemen got in the ring, they would steal the show. Uh, you know, it will be a classic wrestling match. And to be honest with you, I would love... I, I live in Miami. And I will fly to New Orleans to see, uh, you know, that match. So that just tells you the length of how popular and how important that match is. It'll be Kurt Angle's or one of his first matches back in the WWE, because who knows, maybe he returns at SummerSlam. But it'll be one of his first back in the WWE, number one. And number two is against Triple H, so why not? That'd be absolutely amazing if that were to happen. Well, one match that we know that will happen is that Great Balls of Fire. Samoa Joe versus Brock Lesnar's Universal title. And we saw on Monday Night Raw that amazing promo they had between the two. It really brought their realism into the, into the, the, the feud, which is something that... And I, I think I can... I can remember, remember right now, I forgot who told me, but... You know, that's something that, and I believe actually you're going to hear right now from Bruce Owens. He's the one that said it best. He said, you know, pro wrestling is in that direction that needs to evolve. Because if, if the product keeps doing what it's been doing right now, how it is right now, in the next 10 years, wrestling will die, according to Bruce Owens. And you'll hear his, his, uh, his interview. But one thing he brings out is you have to bring in that realism. Because MMA essentially has killed boxing. And you will see here on pro wrestling, how they've bring, brought in some of the MMA aspect into it. Feuding in there and, and adding Brock Lesnar versus Samoa Joe and making it as real as they can really changes the panorama in pro wrestling, George. And I think that's what we're seeing now with the whole... Uh, get, they stick to their gimmicks, but sometimes they go out of it and make it as real as possible. Yeah, and mind you, at the beginning of Raw, you saw it yourself when they both opened up Raw... And it looked like they were going to kill each other. So I, I'm saying this right now. To me, Raw 
right now is leading in in impact stars. What I'm saying is like yeah, people can, that could hit you. SmackDown is leading in stories and things that will make you watch. But right now, I have to say, hey, Raw's doing an amazing job with this story, at least between Joe and, and Lesnar. If you had to tell, ask me, who do you compare these two guys to, like, monster-wise? This is like watching Godzilla versus King Kong. This is going to be a fight. This is not going to be your little headlock takedown and, and arm bar and all. This is going to be a fight, and I cannot wait to see it at Great Balls of Fire. Yes, sir, it is as we move closer to that pay-per-view. But this weekend, we got Money in the Bank, the first ever women's Money ladder uh, money in the Bank match will take place at this weekend's pay-per-view on Father's Day. Uh, but again, shout-out to all the fathers out there celebrating their day on this Sunday, June 18th. George, we're going to go from the United States and fly all the way to Japan where Kenny Omega and Okada fought in uh, the New Japan Pro Wrestling event. And boy, what a match it was. And now we also got word that Cody Rhodes will now be taking on Okada. These two just deliver amazing matches more than an hour. Yep. Uh, and listen, the first match was the first ever, what they call the first ever six-star match. What the hell can you call this? this the first ever seven star? Like, this feud is amazing. And I said it earlier, uh, you know, on my show, Russell City, that basically, guys, this is, they give something for everyone. They give something for those people that are into the high spots or the constants, uh, the big fast segments, and they give something for the story, uh, story readers. The the high spotting of uh, obviously is for the fast pace action, the oh my god that just happened kind of deal, and then the storytelling of oh my god can Omega ever beat Okada? It makes you literally feel for him. It's like it's amazing. I love it, and you don't see many stories like that often. So I'm enjoying the ride. Uh, I feel like Okada and Omega 3 will be coming soon. And let me just say for the record, I feel like that match might be the first one ever to go two hours. That'd be crazy. Have you ever seen, I don't think as they're in the record, have been a two-hour match. Think about it. Omega and Okada, first match went like about 40, 50 minutes. Second match went over an hour. What's going to happen to the third? That's going to be our finale. Think if you really think about it. But in the records book, do you ever recall a match going two hours? I don't think that's ever well, happened. No, it's never happened. But you know, if you're gonna give us a constant match, make us remember it for every single time. The first one we remembered it because it was a six star match. Second time because it passed an hour, and on top of that, we now have the story of Omega can't beat Okada. So what are we gonna get for the third one? Think about it. The only thing left is giving us a match that could probably last an hour and a half to two hours. That'd be interesting. It'd be a first. Well, thanks again for tuning in to The Roman Show. We welcome you to visit our website, theromanshow.com, and our YouTube channel, Our Roman 201. We just got some fresh interviews uh, where George traveled to the SWF event, part of Wrestle City Radio, to cover the event up there in New Jersey. And he brought some great video uh, interviewing legendary and WWE Hall of Famer wrestler, uh, Abdullah the Butcher and many others. So you can check that out right now on the Roman Show's website, uh, Roman 201 and check some more interviews on Wrestle City Radio every Monday here on the Roman Show Network at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't miss it. There was a lot of fun out there, George. Oh, yeah, tons of fun, and I will do it again. I'm just waiting for the confirmation for my next trip. There you go. All right, we're going to welcome legendary referee, Bruce Owens, you've seen him all over the indie scene here in South Florida and the South. Bruce Owens on The Roman Show, coming up next. <laughs> Welcome everyone to The Roman Show. Uh, it's a true honor and it's a privilege uh, to have this man here on The Roman Show. Legendary... Referee from here from Florida, Mr. Bruce Owens joins, uh, joins us here on the Roman Show. You've seen him at several indie shows. Sometimes he gets a bigger pop than the wrestlers. I don't know, uh, Bruce, but I mean, you, you definitely do. You have become 
that person that everyone looks forward to seeing at the indie show, shows. And I'm telling you, when you when the referee gets a pop during a match, that right that in itself is just quite amazing. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us here on the Roman Show. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on your show and always an honor. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Bruce. Well, you, you know, we, we want to talk back here. And, and, of course, we see you all the time at the shows, talking to the fans, shaking hands, telling your stories. But, you know, who was Bruce Owens? How, how did you get started um, in the world of pro wrestling? What was the motivation behind it? Did, did, did you get involved with refereeing because you wanted to be a pro wrestler? How did it all come about? Paint us a picture. Okay, my, my beginning is pretty unusual. I was a wrestling fan, and like anybody else, uh, you know, I like going to the matches, and uh, my brother would uh, charge me to take me to the wrestling matches, make me buy him and his friend a ticket and gas just to get me down there. But I paid him for a while, but the long story short, I was a wrestling fan like anyone else. But um, I also did a little bit of photography, and we're gonna, I'm going to take you way back to 1970. This is back in the black and white days, so... Mm-hmm. What happened was um, I could make an 8x10 for $0.13. Cents. I'd sell it to the boys for $0.50. Cents. The boys would sell it for a dollar. Well, back then, the boys were making maybe $30 a night, $40 a night. Well, they're selling my pictures, and sometimes they're making $100 a night. And so I became very popular with the boys. And in the beginning, my only goal was to be able to get in free. Mm. All I ever wanted in wrestling was I was a wrestling fan. I wanted to get in free, and that was it. Well, fast forward, you know, I started making friends with some of the boys, and then my job, my uh, regular job, took me into aviation. Eddie Graham had an airplane, and there were times I would pick up the guys at the airport because I worked at the airport at the time. And you know, one thing led to another. They saw me, and I was working ticket counter. I'd upgrade them to first class and everything. So. Um, in time, they knew I was smart enough that, you know, I was smart to the business, but I never challenged them about the business. I respected it. I portrayed it as real and everything like that. And so at this time, I'm hauling the boys around sometimes and everything and setting up rings in the building. And um, at the Miami Beach Convention Center, they had a legit timekeeper who would call the time because the matches would sometimes go an hour, 30, 40 minutes. And one night he had a heart attack and died. Well, when they're doing CPR on him, I go up, and uh, he was dead without a doubt. And they told me, look, you're going to be the announcer. You're going to be the uh, timekeeper. The next match is going to be a fast start. So basically what happened was, while they're doing CPR on him, I pick up his tie, roll it up, stick it in my pocket, and fast forward next week, I'm going to be the timekeeper. Buy me a white shirt as this poor kid growing up in Hialeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I told the man, can I, Frank Freeman and uh, Chris Dundee, the promoter, hey, I want to be the timekeeper. And they said, fine, and that was it. So that was my start. But what's interesting about it was the man was dead. They knew he was dead. In those days, we, they ran the lights over the ring and the building was dark. Mm-hmm. So they said, look, we're going to run a fast start. So they ended the match and Usually what happened is tickets go on sale, people go to the bathrooms and buy their tickets because it wasn't any online tickets back then, and they're going to concession stands. Well, they run the next match, does a run-in, throws the guys out. They do it, and they announce, hey, tickets on sale for next week's matches. They hit the lights that cover the ring. Everybody leaves and runs for the pissers and the ticket sales and concession stands. They haul the dead man away, and... Next week, like I said, I'm now the official timekeeper at Miami Beach. The business matured a little bit where they started running double shots, and they were transitioning from getting some of the older guys out and putting young faces, whether it was in the arenas and on TV. I just happened to be there at the right time. They were running double shots, running two towns the same night. And so as a timekeeper, I used to always call the finish of the match, the winner is such and such. So they knew I had the voice and everything. It was a matter of dressing up and everything. And um, next thing you know, I'm a, an announcer and sometimes doing interviews for Championship Wrestling from Florida. Hmm. Back in those days, you had to have the endorsement to get in. To, by, I'll give an example. My endorsements were the Briscoes, Eddie Graham, Duke Kiyomoka, Hiro Matsuda, Dusty, um, you know, the Grahams, uh, obviously Mike and uh, the time Steve Kern. 
guys like that. So you had to have about 10 votes in. If you had one vote out, you were out. You know, you get nine out of 10, you weren't in. Mm. So fortunately, you know, I got 10 out of 10 and I was in. So I was a combination announcer and sometimes I helped set up the towns, which was a building. And you made sure the ticket, uh, tickets were being sold right in those days because we're talking about paper tickets and people skimming passing money at the gate so you had to watch the ticket tears to make sure they were tearing tickets and getting tickets and so once I got past that part of it you know I ended up being a, a full-time announcer in a bunch of the towns um, fast forward back into uh, around 1980 or so or late 70s it was Michael Hayes and Dutch Mantel were booking and I said, hey, I want to be a referee. And they said, what do you know about refereeing? I said, nothing. They said, show up in Orlando. And they said, just be in the wrong place at the right time and stick to the corner and give the guys room to work. And back then, it was always go left. So in other words, if the guy was about to collide into you, you went left, he went left, and nobody hit each other. Mm -hmm. So that was you know, one of the tricks that they did back then. And if the guys did tackles in the ring, they uh, went in always went uh, circle or counterclockwise left. So the guy knew where the guy was coming from next. So, you know, the business has changed a lot from then, but you have to understand a lot of the matches, you know, opening matches might be 20 minutes and your mid-card match might go 30 to 40 and sometimes you had 60 minutes on top, you know. So that's kind of how I got my start in. And um, I was lucky because in those days, it, you know, like I said, if you didn't have family or friends, that's why you saw the big guys that were in shape in the audience, and some of the guys in the ring were fat down to shape, but they either had family in the business, and it was a closed business. You couldn't get in. Hogan's a classic example. He came in, and we used to go to a bar in Tampa. He played bass guitar, and, mm -hmm. you know, he wanted to be a wrestler, and they said, come to the sportatorium, and they broke his leg, you know, the first three minutes because he came in. He says, I'm tough. I can wrestle. So they stretched him and beat him up. And he came back, you know, probably about a year later, said, hey, I want to learn how to wrestle, was very humble, and they knew they could make a lot of money with him because you go back in the set, late 70s and you got a guy the size of Hogan. I mean, a size 12 shoe was a special order back then. You know, so now you've got a guy the size of Hogan, um, it would be box office money, and they broke him in. So that's kind of how I made it in. And, you know, fortunately, I've been, I've been very lucky to, you know, go 44 years, so... Did you ever think of, hey, I want to be a wrestler at any time? Did it come about? Here's the thing. I got out of high school. I weighed 135 pounds soaking wet. Mm. You know? Mm. And there's some of the stunts I can do and everything because you're throwing yourself. And, you know, the guy's usually steering you and everything like that. So I enjoyed practicing some of the stuff to know that I could simply do it. But um, I was like, you know, here's the thing. I go out there as a referee, and I'm out there half the night, sometimes in the old days, all nights, okay, for the whole night. Well, I get more time in the ring than anybody. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was out there. I want to spend more time out there, you know. And like I said, when I was an announcer, I got tired of carrying the suits and the shirts and having to iron them before the show and all that stuff. And that was one of my incentives to be a referee was just not to have to carry the, the suit and stuff and all the dry cleaning bills because back then you said as an announcer, fans are throwing stuff and everything. So every night you're going doing a dry cleaner with a different uh, jacket and stuff. So, so but, you know, the, the wrestling aspect of it, you know, I wasn't a real athletic man. I mean, I screwed up playing miniature golf, man. So I don't think I was the guy to be a wrestler, you know. But every now and then you do get your movements. Like uh, most recently in Ronin, you did a, a double choke slam. Yeah, well, sometimes the guys give me the glory and I get to do a little spot like that. But, you know, I think what was really neat about that was, like, nobody saw it coming. Mm -hmm. You know, I know it was going to be good with the crowd. And the only difference was that... Uh, Looking back, Teddy Stigma, um, the other guy told me he wasn't going to kick out. And Teddy Stigma, uh, looking back, said he should have never kicked out. They should have let me pin him because the crowd was really hot on that. It just went over very well. You know, we could have did it another night in another town, and maybe it wouldn't have worked as well. Mm -hmm. But that particular night, it worked so well. Teddy said, looking back, he says, I wish I didn't kick out. We should have just left you uh, pin us. And the other guy, I don't remember his name, but he just told me when I covered, he says, I ain't kicking out. 
just left it at that because they would have really just went for it, you know. But the guys let me have some fun and glory sometimes, so I always appreciate that, you know. So you, little time to shine. How many ref? How many matches would you say at the top of your head roughly, if you really have as close as accurate as you come? Matches have you refereed, you would say, and and out of all of them, which has been your most memorable one, and why? Oh God, man, I don't even know how to put the count on. <laughs> you know, like God. I know that's a tough one. <laughs> like thirty-five years, I don't know, man. Get a calculator on your cell phone, <laughs> and and you know, I don't know. I mean, you have to understand the old days. We work seven days a week plus TV and a double shot. So a lot of times I work nine times a week. Wow. You know, and so nine times a week, sometimes all the matches, sometimes half of them. The old days, traditionally, we never had more than two referees. Wow. You know, um, now sometimes, you know, nowadays we have three and stuff like that. But the old days, it was never more than two, you know. Um, so I can't even calculate that, but I'll, we'll do that another time. Uh, most memorable match, I guess most memorable I had two was Bruiser Brody and Abdullah the Butcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that, that's a three. Abdullah the Butcher and Bruiser Brody, um, that just went all over the place. Um, then, uh, I was also in with the, the original Sheik and Abdullah, and that was pretty bad. There was a lot of blatant going in there. Um, that was pretty dangerous, and that got into the crowd and stuff like that. Probably got in a rumble with about 10 people, but, you know, Abdullah took care of things pretty good. And, you know, the Sheik is uh, good enough on his own to take care of himself. But, mm-hmm. you know, you start fighting out there within the stands and stuff like that, you know, you can never see your back. And that's the most dangerous part because you're surrounded, you know, basically two-thirds of you're surrounded. You're just looking forward and get it from the side or from the back at any moment. So, but it's kind of what those guys do. And I, I kind of don't know if you understand a lot of times why we bring in guys like that. But say guys like Brody Abdullah and there's a, we'll call it a big bloodbath type of thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when a territory is running into a lull and it's just the way it is, you know, things cannot stay at at the top all the time, but things run into a low, and sometimes to get the eyeballs back on the product, what they would do in those days is they bring in the Sheik and Brody or Abdul and the Sheik or some big attraction like that for maybe like two, three weeks, and it would start out the first one be a big, you know, countdown and everything like that. The refs get beat up, everybody, they bring it back and do another match, and then, you know, finish it off in a steel cage or something. But that was trying to do, you know, the bloodbaths were kind of brought in when you saw those guys come in for two or three shots only in, in a two, three-week period, was that was to help get the eyeball back on the product. Uh, sometimes the TV ratings were down and stuff like that. And uh, that's why they would bring those guys and you'd see them come in. And, you know, they were good. They, they cleaned up a lot of money and they, you know, did a big bloodbath two or three nights um, you know, in a three-week period, and, and they were gone. But that was kind of the purpose then. But probably my most memorable match would be um, jumping over. Saudi Arabia was good because the whole trip was good. I did the first tour into Saudi Arabia. Uh-huh. So that was cool. But I would go back to the War Memorial Auditorium in Fort Lauderdale. Uh-huh. The match was Wahoo McDaniels and Ric Flair for the title. And the thing that made it interesting was the house announcer was not part of our show or the timekeeper um, as a union building, and so they had their own people. Well, we did a steel cage match, and there's a spot where Flair shoots uh, Wahoo into the ropes. He drops down. Wahoo comes over, does the ref bump, mows me over, and I went back and I hit my head into the steel cage, um, the gate, by, by accident, for real. Mm-hmm. and uh, I split my head in the back. So when I fell forward to do the count with Wahoo on Flair, I did the one, the two, and Flair saw the blood. You know, It looked like it was pouring out of my ear. It was pouring out of the back of my head, and I come down with the three. And the announcer announces your winner, new world champion, Wahoo McDaniels. And, you know, the whole building, the house lights come on, the whole building goes nuts and everything. 
and you know, and that wasn't the finish. And I have to get up and go, you know, his shoulder, you know, my magic where I should go, his shoulder was up an eighth of an inch type of thing. And, you know, the whole building had seen, seen this guy lay flat as a pancake, you know. So, um, that we were in a steel cage, which is the only thing that saved us because the, the fans tore up the building and everything. And so the next day in the Sun Centennial, the article was war breaks out at the war memorial. And they showed all the damage to the auditorium and everything. And, um, you know, we were lucky to get out. It was, it was pretty bad, you know, um, you know, probably, you know, going back in the times, you know, you talk about what it was like, you know, there were certain towns and, you know, when they had like the motorcycle cops, usually had the motorcycle cops and they would come in and flip the shields down and they had their batons and it would be okay when you're ready, nod, and we would go to the ring. Mm -hmm. And go to the ring could be tough depending who you're with. I'll give an example. Gary Hart, Pac Song, and those guys, fans really, really hated those people. Mm -hmm. And when we would get out of the ring, you know, there's the cops and they got their face shields down. We nod and they go and, you know, there's a cop going with the baby faces and, you know, we got seven or eight trying to get us back. And um, I was talking with Jerry Briscoe, we're up in Tampa at the event the other day, and we were talking about West Palm Beach where, you know, they built, um, for this is West Palm Beach, which was really a nice town, but they built an entrance with a fence so that we could get to the ring. Mm -hmm. The entrance ran probably about row seven was then where we were out of the, the, the fence and then to go into the ring. Well, then the fans started throwing stuff over the top at us. So now they put a roof on it. So we got, you know, this is this is in West Palm Beach trying to go to the ring. You know, so um, the fans get a little crazy. I mean, uh, you probably saw the article once. I, you know, I, I was shot at twice, you know, wow. in my in my career. Um, you know, once, um, you know, it was just a hot finish, and uh, the, the Fabs lost, Steve Kern and Lane lost her title. And um, came out of the building in Orlando, and, and uh, you know the fans in those days knew what you were driving. A lot of times, they'd wait by the entrance where you pulled in. They knew what you're driving, and, and you know I got shot, shot at my car on that one. And then uh, the other time was Angelo Mosca and me were coming out of the building in uh, Fort Pierce, which was connected to the police station in the city hall. And I, I never heard it. There was all of a sudden, next thing I know. I get slammed to the ground, and Mosca's on top of me. I thought he tripped on it and fell on me, um, but somebody shot a couple rounds at us coming out of the building, and, you know, we came out of the door, and the shots in the wall were probably six and eight inches and 12 inches um, from the entrance of the door. So that's how close it was that, you know, we could have got out, you know, hit that night. So, you know, back then the fans really, really believed it, and, and uh, you know, things were pretty crazy for us. So how, you, you see that, you know, back then, those fans took it more to heart of the business. So how, how has this business changed, in your opinion? And it, has it been for the better or for the worse? Well, I think there's there's two ways. A lot, a lot of the old-timers are bitter, you know, because the business was what it was and everything. I mean, I, I'll give you my perspective on it. Is, you know, I enjoyed that era probably the best. There's a few reasons. One, you know, now I've got five herniated discs and they burn my uh, nerves on my back every six months the rest of my life, so I feel half the pain instead of all of it. And, uh, you know, when I was younger and a lot easier, you know, it was a lot more fun. Mm -hmm. But what the business was back then is, I'll give you an example, Miami Beach at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night, they were scalping tickets. Wow. You know, that's how credible the business was and believable. But then we weren't competing against all the different sports. There wasn't a, a, a baseball team. There wasn't a football team. You know, um, there were a lot of, not a basketball team. There's a lot of things that weren't here then, you know. And, you know, back then it was the hottest product, the most believable, and the most fan reaction you ever saw. If you ever go to watch old tapes and you watch how those fans react, you would only imagine what it would be like to be there and be one of the performers knowing that you incited these type of things with the fans. Mm -hmm. But 
the business, everything evolves. If the business didn't change, with sports being what they are now, nobody's going to watch a guy sit in a rest hold for five minutes, eight minutes, and work an arm. People get up and leave, and they never come back. So the business had to evolve or it'll go away. Mm. Um, and then, you know, there was a time when they had shoot fight wrestling in Japan. Yeah. And what it was was the beginning of the match, like say the match was a 10-minute match, okay? The first, you know, seven minutes was choreographed, okay? I mean, the seven minutes was a shoot. The last three minutes was choreographed to the finish. And so the guys were shooting on each other, the deal was you can't knock the guy out earlier and never go back to Japan. But what the fans were looking at was the first seven minutes was real, and the guys were really hidden and banging on each other. And the last three minutes rolled into the finish and happened so quick that they thought the whole thing was real. Mm-hmm. And that was the way for Japan to control the stars, the merchandise, and everything. Um, and that added something to it. Um, Wrestling now has become basically exposed to what it is, and people are doing moves that, you know, somebody's going to break a neck or get killed some night, and it won't be a surprise because, you know, some of the moves are real crazy. But everybody's pushing the limits, and and everyone wants to be the top guy, and so they're going to continue to do that. So the product you have today is captivating a different audience. In the old days, usually they didn't take their children to the matches until they were more like 16 years old because it was, you know, pretty bloody and gory and, um, you know, pretty rough and stuff like that. Now it's a family thing where the kids go and they bring the parents type of deal. So um, it had to evolve or it'll die. And I really believe that a fine example of that would be MMA. Mm-hmm. MMA has killed boxing. Mm-hmm. And people that were great boxing fans, you watch MMA and, and, you know, that's it. It took over. I believe that the current product you got from WWE today will also die if it's not changed. Maybe it's 10 years from now. Not in the near future. But in 10 years from now, if you're trying to give the same product WWE is giving today, I think it'll tank. I believe that they have to start doing something similar to what they're doing, like bringing guys like in the time Batista and Brock Lesnar and guys that are crossing over from MMA, Bobby Lashley, mm-hmm. that will add an element of wrestling and a shoot um, business of fighting. You know, I don't know what the product is, but if you think of what I said and just see how MMA killed boxing, I believe that there's something out there that could kill the WWE product of today that wouldn't make it as popular unless they come up and they change the business somehow with whether it's the rules or the style of fighting and maybe you have some wrestling on the card, some little mixed MMA wrestling, something, you know. I also think the lost art of the midgets and the lady wrestling, mm-hmm. you know, that that also should contribute to something because you know, it was a mixture of everything. In the old days, there was a fat guy, a tall guy, a little guy, you know, a skinny guy. There was a mixture of everything. So I think that, you know, WWE is going to stay strong right now. But I think 10 years from now, there, there's got to be some type of change in the product or marketing or something of it. Because I, I think you need that. Uh, you know, just everything's evolved, you know. And I think it needs to evolve again, you know. It went from the time when I started in the 70s, you know, to, to it was still real, but they were using all the real big guys like Hogan, Savage, and all the big monsters, Undertaker, Kane, and everything. Then it's evolved back into now where the, the people are, you know, mixtures. you got 205 Classic in there, you know. You've, you've got uh, comedy acts, you know, um, and women and everything like that so it's it's got a mixture of some different things now than what it did 10 years ago and i think that there's another 10 year cycle that something needs to change to make it more attractive and to make it still a top product whether it's um wwe or any company because i think after a while people will get tired it'll just be oh it's that stuff on tv especially when you see the guys that fight each other you know teaming up with each other the following week you know so I think they have to get creative somehow and come up with some kind of hybrid product to, to make it a little different 10 
And how about how about the years from now to see it? And how about the future of of, of referees? Because there was a time when, for example, ECW, and I know you just most recently you had a you played a role refereeing a match in Ronan, but remember ECW would have a, a lot of freedom to the referee. Would that get them involved in a match where? A referee could power bomb a wrestler, but where do you see the future headed for referees? Now we see in the WWE, and, and you were talking about the whole realism, where now they have to wear gloves to check on the wrestlers to, if they're bleeding, just like they do like an MMA. You know, they got a doctor on the side. So where do you think the 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 uh, direction for the referee that position is going right now? Does it be more realism uh, bringing it to the table? Yeah, I think I think what. You know, what's supposed to really happen in any sport, unless you're doing a heel referee gimmick, is the referee's supposed to be law and order, whether it's MMA, boxing, or anything. Um, one of the things that happens, and it usually happens with guys that are inexperienced, they'll bury a referee out there. Instead of getting the heat on them, they get the heat on the referee. Hmm. And what I'm saying is, you know, they're not supposed to get caught cheating. They're supposed to be able to cheat to make it look like well, the referee tried to catch him, but he couldn't, and, you know, he outdid the ref. But, you know, some of the guys, uh, they'll bury you, and, you know, they're doing the stuff in front of you, and, you know, what they're doing is, you know, they can get the heat on me all they want. It doesn't matter, but what they're doing is they're killing the match because they're supposed to be good enough to cheat that they don't get caught by the referee, no matter how hard the referee tries to catch them. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So... Um, I think it's always supposed to be that the referee will, you know, is law and order. Um, and sometimes when you see that it's not um, a good wrestler, a good referee, I'll give you an example. I mean, I've been in there with Flair and everything. Flair can cheat all night long and never, ever put the heat on the referee. Sure. You know, you watch a 60-minute match with Flair and he'll cheat and, and he does all his stuff and never once does the heat go on the referee. The heat stays on him because he knows when to do the spots and, and you know, that it doesn't bury the ref. And, you know, sometimes the guys, just because the fans are screaming, they think they got it right. But if they're screaming at the ref for being the shits or doing it wrong, then, you know, they're not really doing their job. They're just burying the ref, you know. So that's kind of how I see it. Well, Bruce, we've talked a lot. I want to thank you so much for your time here on the Roman Show. We look forward to seeing you in action at upcoming indie shows. I know you're very um, very active on the weekends. So you can catch Bruce Owens out in any indie show here in South Florida. Uh, anything else you'd like to add, Bruce? No, I just really appreciate the support of the indie fans for all the wrestlers and journalists and people like yourself because the only way it stays alive is with the fans and you know, what I hope and what I always try to do is I've always tried to make myself accessible to the fans, whether fans are asking me, hey, can you get this guy so I can shoot some pictures or whatever it is. Um, you know, heels can be heels in the ring, but, uh, you know, when you're, when you're there with the fans, I think that uh, everybody, whether you're a heel, baby, referee, manager, valet, um, you have to make time for the fans because, you know, um, sometimes the guy's 25 years old, but he's got a ten-year-old kid with them and when they're ten years old they don't know that it's an indie wrestler to them it's the same wrestler they see on tv you know they don't remember all the wrestlers on tv but when they go to an indie show to a ten-year-old hey there's a good guy and a bad guy and you know if you were when you were a fan if you were ten years old when you were a fan you'd know exactly what i'm talking about you know Um, make everybody believe and make them enjoy their evening and be accessible to them Absolutely. Well, Bruce, thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you again in action in the ring, refereeing some of the great matches that you do here in the indie uh, promotion in South Florida. Bruce, thanks so much for your time, and we'll catch you in the ring next time. All right. See you at the next thank match. You. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners all around the world, welcome to The Showdown. All right, guys, we're back here. We're going to talk some uh, mixed martials. We also want to get, as well as to talk some rock and metal and music here in the Roman show. You know, Ivan Moody of Five Finger Death Punch apparently has quit the band. He was on a recent concert, and the band played about two songs, grabbed the mic and says, this is my last show with the band. I'm le- basically saying I'm out. And uh, he gave in pretty much that, you know, when you 
when you give that, that signature move that Benoit used to do where you slash your throat. Uh, pretty sad. Uh, Ivan Moody, for some time, he, he had reportedly had been had taken some personal time off. There were some rumors flaring that he had battling some issues with, uh, with drugs or whatnot or depression. Uh, also sexually assaulted uh, the significant other. So he has been going through some personal situations and the band always denied that there were any issues and really kept fighting and saying that you know the band is not going to break up but of course there's a video out there on social media that's been being spread that Ivan Moody right on stage frankly just states it it's it that's it this is the last show I have with Frank Finger Death Punch I know that he was away he was away uh, in one of the recent tours, and there was another gentleman that stepped in, right now it escapes my mind, the singer's name, but it's just not the same. You need Ivan Moody to be part of Five Finger Death Punch. Hopefully, uh, it, maybe it's just a tantrum he had with the band, and he let it out loose on, uh, on, the, on the show, and perhaps he will return back with the band, because this is not the first time he does that. Last time he did it, he left, he was an issue, and they had to cut the show short. But hopefully this is just... It's not what it seems out to be, and we do get to keep Ivan Moody in Five Finger Death Punch because those guys belong together. All right, Mark Hunt, George, talking some mixed martial arts. Mark Hunt, 43 years young, and the guy is still kicking ass. He defeated the young Derek Lewis in a knockout, and <laughs> needless to say, you know, Mark Hunt, 43 years old, he's still going. Derek Lewis. Very young guy, decides to retire after the fight, allegedly. He says he wants to dedicate his time on his personal life, taking care of his wife, his children, etc. And this is a guy who talked crap about Ronda Rousey's fiancé, Travis Brown. Frankly, Derek Lewis defeated Travis Brown. But right after that, he started saying, calling Travis Brown a, uh, a, a sexual uh, uh, assaulter or attacker and... At the end of this fight with Mark Hunt, Travis Brown fires back and says, Hey, Derek Lewis, you know, basically, let's do it again after all that crap you talk that you're making yourself the next biggest thing in the heavyweight division, the UFC. And look at this. You get knocked out by that 43-year-old Mark Hunt. According to Martin Lurek Lewis, though, he's retiring, he had some injuries, and we might see, we might possibly potentially see the last of Derek Lewis. Now, Mark Hunt wants Alistair Overing. Uh, in another match, or Junior Dos Santos. And let me tell you, Mark Hunt does not like Alistair Overeem. In fact, he calls him a cheating bum because of the steroid uh, that he used for a while. He got busted uh, using some more performance enhancers. Uh, but Mark Hunt's still going at it, George. Yeah, uh, like Mark Hunt, by all means, is one of the most dangerous men in the MMA octagon. As a matter of fact, uh, this is the same guy that pretty much took a gorilla-sized man in Brock Lesnar and put him to the test. And to be honest with you, the, the guy was upset, again, because they did find out about the situation that happened with Lesnar, and it came out to be true. But still, Mark Hunt still pushed against a guy that was 10 times bigger than him and still pushed him to the limit. So what does that tell you? For a guy that's 10 times bigger than you, and you still, you still get to stand up and fight back. That shows you the strength and the danger that you have when you step in that octagon with someone like a Mark Hunt. And to be honest with you, my opinion, Mark Hunt is most probably one of the most talented MMA fighters I've ever seen. And I feel like he's the um, uncrowned UFC heavyweight champion. You know how crazy it is, George, to think that, you know, right now, Samoa Joe, who is of Samoan def- uh, descent, is going to take on Brock Lesnar. Ironically, Mark Hunt to be uh, uh, Mark Hunt is also Samoan descent. How ironic that is! I'm huh? Brock Lesnar facing two Samoans, one in mixed martial arts over in the UFC, and now in um, in WWE against Samoa Joe. Yeah, I, I you know I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it. Now the, in this case, Mark Hunt and Samoa Joe, yes, they're both Samoan and they both can take a hit. So that's why I said a little earlier about when I was talking about Lesnar and Joe, that it's going to be a fight. And I cannot wait to see it because it's going to be an actual fight because they could both take a hit. 
That's why I was even excited to see Lesnar and Hunt when it was announced a long time ago. Because those two can go at it. But no one was really putting faith in Mark Hunt and saying that he would survive an actual long-distance fight with Lesnar. And he did. So that's why I'm saying this Mark Hunt is by far a talented MMA fighter. And on top of that, I feel like he's the uncrowned you know, UFC champion or wherever he might go. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps up the Roman show this week. We want to thank you very much. Make sure to call in at our hotline, 786-942-9424. 786-942-9424. You can leave us a message or comment. And uh, we'll play right here on the air on the Roman Show's episode next week. Next week, we have Combate Americas Andres Quintana, who will be part of the Mexican card up on June 30th. Combate Americas, he'll be in action there. Make sure you tune in next week to find out what his plans are to make it 2-0 in Combate Americas for Andres Quintana as he joins us next week here on the program. Well, again, once again, subscribe to our channel, All Romano 201 on YouTube and visit our website, theromanshow.com. And we're always live on our social media accounts. That's Roman Show Media on Facebook and on Instagram and The Roman Show on Twitter. Till next time.